Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can provide examples of what narcissists do to make other people believe that they are more intelligent than they actually are. One of the characteristics of narcissism is presenting oneself as greater, more important, and just plain better than other people. Narcissists rarely give ground on this grandiose sense of self-importance in any area, but they are particularly sensitive to the areas of intelligence and outward appearance. These are two areas where they rarely concede that other people may have an advantage over them. Here, of course, I'll be focusing on the area of intelligence, and I'll answer this question by looking at the 10 things narcissists do to convince people that they are smart. The irony of many of these items is that they actually make the narcissist look less intelligent. So these are things that narcissists do that they believe makes them look more intelligent, but they don't necessarily actually make them appear smarter. So I'll get started here with item number one. This is the narcissist correcting other people's grammar. Now, of course, context is important here. Sometimes correcting somebody else's grammar is actually doing them a favor or it's required as part of one's job. What I'm talking about here is correcting somebody's grammar when you don't have to or when it's impolite to do so. What I find interesting about this particular strategy on the part of the narcissist is a situation that occurs sometimes where the narcissist knows somebody who's chronically using a word incorrectly. And the narcissist has to decide between making themselves look good, so correcting the person's grammar and getting that narcissistic gratification, or letting the other person continue to look bad, because that could also benefit the narcissist. For example, imagine a person who has to regularly refer to the title of a scholarly article. Let's say they want to refer to a person who wrote an article about major depressive disorder, like a review of major depressive disorder. That's the title of the article. The correct way to say that would be this person wrote an article titled a review of major depressive disorder. But perhaps the narcissist sees a person who says this person wrote an article entitled a review of major depressive disorder. Now this is a usage of the word entitled we sometimes see, but it is technically incorrect. The correct way to say that would be titled, not entitled. The article isn't entitled to anything. It has a title. So the narcissist has to decide between telling the person that they're using that word incorrectly. And again, they can feed their own narcissism through doing that or not telling them, believing that they look foolish by doing that. Even though, again, it's kind of a minor error to the narcissist. Every mistake that somebody else makes is a major mistake. 
Now, another reason the narcissist might fail to tell that person about that incorrect usage would be to use that against them later. So one mistake isn't as good as many mistakes from the point of view of somebody that the narcissist is trying to be judgmental towards or criticize. So what I mean by this is the narcissist really wants to have something to hit the other person with. So instead of the narcissist saying, you use this word entitle incorrectly one time, they can say you've been using the word entitle incorrectly for years. So they're sort of saving up the mistakes to get that embarrassment factor higher. So again, this just creates an interesting situation. The narcissist has to choose really what type of satisfaction they try to get in this area of correcting other people's grammar. Moving to item number two, this is using words incorrectly. Of course, the irony here is that the narcissist tries to correct other people's grammar, but they often use words incorrectly themselves. This is particularly true of technical jargon outside the narcissist field. They often pick up on words that are used in other fields that people wouldn't recognize, and they try to use those words themselves to make themselves look more intelligent. They know that only a small number of other people would pick up on that. So again, it kind of makes them distinct, makes them special. I find that much of the time this happens when the narcissist hears somebody that they respect use an unusual word. Then the narcissist tries to figure out the meaning of that word from the context or from what the word sounds similar to. Other words that are similar sounding that the narcissist would know. They are so desperate to impress that they don't bother to look up what the word actually means before they use it, right? So we see kind of an impulsivity piece here. And of course, a high level of self-confidence. Because they are so important, because they are so great, they can't make a mistake, so they must be using the word correctly. I've seen many examples of this in the mental health field specifically. There are a number of words used in the mental health field that aren't particularly common in daily usage. And what really stands out to me is when the narcissist uses the word in a way that's way off, rather than a common or understandable mistake in terms of using that word. So a couple of examples that I've seen, there's this word phenomenological. I've seen a narcissist use this to mean phenomenal, like phenomenological is a better version of the word phenomenal. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It's the study of structures of consciousness as experienced from a first-person point of view. It's a pretty common word when talking about qualitative research. Another word I've seen misused by narcissists is ideological. I saw an example where somebody said that it was related to eating, I guess because of the first part of that word, ideological. Actually, of course, ideological means causing or contributing to the development of a disorder, right? So they just hear the word and they make an assumption about what it means. And again, without researching it, they just start using it. Item number three, they try to talk about areas where they believe other people don't have a lot of knowledge. This is a popular tactic with the narcissist. They will study one area that they believe that another person wouldn't know anything about, and then they'll keep moving the conversation back to that area. For example, let's say that a person doesn't know a lot about cooking. I can connect with this example because I don't have any experience with cooking. I couldn't tell you anything interesting about that topic. So any level of knowledge about cooking is going to seem impressive from my point of view. So in a situation like that, when the narcissist figures this out, they talk a lot about cooking because they know they can make mistakes and the other person is not going to know any better. The narcissist can look smart and not really have to know 
a tremendous amount about that topic. Again, they'll study it a little bit, but they don't really have to know a lot about it. Maybe some of the technical jargon, like I talked about before, and a few of the things they learn, they put that together and make themselves out like they're an expert in that area. What I find really interesting in these situations is when the conversation is interrupted by a third party who does know something about that area. All of a sudden, the narcissist doesn't want to talk about that topic anymore. They no longer seem smart, and they run the risk of their own limited knowledge being exposed. So they just change topics or leave the conversation. Item number four, the narcissist supports a position even though the evidence is against it. This is a fairly common tactic. Narcissists tend to overcommit to ideas that protect their ego. So really, narcissism doesn't necessarily have a relationship to openness to experience. A narcissist can be high in this trait. They can appreciate the arts. They may be intellectually curious. They can certainly have a lot of fantasy, but they still have a blind spot when it comes to their own value and importance. A grandiose narcissist tends to be rigid in terms of their thinking in this area. Now, a vulnerable narcissist does tend to process criticisms and they feel shame and resentment, but they still often defend a bad position either way. So the narcissist will find information, maybe even from a scholarly article that supports their position. Perhaps it supports an idea that they've been in favor of a long time. So I'll use an example of a made-up therapy, ABC therapy. Let's say that this therapy helps people recover from feelings of sadness. So the narcissist is committed to the idea that ABC therapy is successful. They go out and they find information that supports their commitment to this modality. This is called confirmation bias. Someone doesn't have to be a narcissist to do this, but the narcissist takes it one step further. When they clearly see evidence that refutes their theory, they know that their theory is now unsupported, but they don't want to make it appear like they committed to an idea that wasn't correct. For them, if they change their mind, they believe that's going to be viewed as a weakness. They're going to look less intelligent because they committed to an idea that was later found to not be correct. Even though changing one's mind in the presence of new evidence is actually a sign of intelligence. It's flexible thinking. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection, and interview top thought leaders, game changers, and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover, and how to be brave. When the narcissist is unable to win on the basis of evidence, they switch to other tactics, which brings me to the next item, item number five, attacking people who have different views than them instead of arguing based on actual evidence. Let's say the narcissist knows that they can't win a particular argument. They will attack the people who support the opposite position. Often they'll try to find one mistake that the other person made 
and then overgeneralize that to every situation. For example, they look at someone who once misspelled a word, and they say, if that person can't spell that word right, I wouldn't trust them with anything. That person made a mistake, therefore, they've lost all credibility. I've heard this many times from narcissists. Losing all credibility can, of course, happen, but it's not an everyday event. But if you talk to a narcissist, you get the impression that people lose all credibility all the time, right? Perhaps even several times a day, right? So it's just taking, again, one small mistake and trying to really stay with that to undermine somebody's credibility. And this is simply for the purpose of the narcissist not having to admit that their position is unsupported. Now moving to item number six, this is blaming someone else for their incorrect belief. So sometimes even the narcissist can't deny they have backed a poor position. They have made a mistake. And instead of owning that, instead of learning from that, they blame someone else. And they believe this makes them look more intelligent, when of course it really doesn't. So they might say something like, I was given misinformation, or that person who gave me this information was trying to make me look bad, or something like, there was a conspiracy to make me look foolish, right? Anything but just simply owning the mistake, which would be a lot easier and I think would make them look a lot better. Item number seven is fairly straightforward. This is simply using words like logic and reason, like simply saying those words makes their argument better, right? It sounds good, but it really doesn't help somebody's argument. So if a narcissist is arguing, they might say, look, I'm just attempting to be logical. Let's just be reasonable. I'm the voice of reason, or I only make logical decisions. Again, they're just saying these things. They're just saying, essentially, I'm right. They're not really backing it up with any evidence. But by including the words logic and reason, they're trying to get the high ground in the argument. Just saying those words, of course, is not enough to establish an argument, right? To use logic and reason, you have to do more than saying, hey, I'm using logic and reason. But again, this is what the narcissist does. Moving to item number eight, this is when the narcissist discounts constructs that are connected with intelligence. And these are constructs the narcissist doesn't have. There are a lot of different ideas connected with intelligence, and that's what I'm really talking about here. For example, if the narcissist is not successful and they see another person who is successful, and of course we know success is associated with intelligence, the narcissist will say, success is just a matter of luck. So they'll discount that another person is successful. If they see someone who has a higher level of education, they might say, well, anyone can get a piece of paper, right? Just again, being dismissive of these elements associated with intelligence. They also make incorrect assumptions about the types of intelligence. There are several types of intelligence, but the narcissist only values the types of intelligence that they believe that they have. I've seen this play out before between verbal and performance, right? Two major types of intelligence. So if the narcissist has a lot of verbal intelligence, a high level of crystallized knowledge, they'll say, well, that's the only type of intelligence that matters. Or if they have high cognitive reasoning skills, they'll say only performance matters. So they're not gonna take all of the parts of intelligence and say they're all valid unless they have every part, unless they have a high score in every type of intelligence. Another thing kind of related to this is when they see somebody who's incredibly smart, like if somebody has an IQ above say 130 or 135, they'll say, oh, well, if people are that smart, that comes with deficits, right? And sometimes when people are extremely intelligent, if they have 
a really high Q. We do see some social problems associated with that. Not all the time, but some of the time we do. And the narcissists really focus on that. They'll focus on that deficit. They'll say, well, without social skills, the intelligence can't be used. So again, just discounting the actual level of intelligence and trying to find some flaw associated with it, right? Just to get it out of the picture. They don't want to face the fact that some people are highly intelligent. And what really bothers them is that some people are more intelligent than them. Speaking of intelligence, that brings me to item number nine. Narcissists lie about their performance on intelligence tests. Now, this is kind of a sensitive area because few people will challenge someone who states their IQ publicly, right? It's not polite to challenge somebody who says something like that. But when there is a need to challenge the narcissist, when it is appropriate, we see kind of interesting things come up about their IQ claims, right? Interesting stories and responses. They can't seem to tell you what intelligence test they took that yielded the IQ they claim to have. They might say, oh, it was a long time ago. I don't remember. They don't know why they were given an IQ test. Now, there aren't a large number of reasons somebody would receive an IQ test. It's a fairly restricted number of reasons. Most people who have taken an IQ test remember why it was administered. They would at least remember the context in which it was administered, like was it administered in a school setting, for example. They also don't tend to understand the typical ranges or even just the limits of intelligence tests when it comes to like the IQ score. They don't understand how these ranges work. Functionally speaking, if somebody has an IQ of 120 or 130, it doesn't really matter how much higher that score gets. People in those categories tend to function similarly. So if somebody has an IQ of 120, they're going to function pretty similarly to someone with an IQ of 130, 140, or even higher. So narcissists fail to appreciate that distinction. And the actual limit of an IQ test, depending on the IQ test, is somewhere around 160. Some go up as high as 170. And in certain situations, we see tests that go up a little bit higher, but it doesn't really get much higher than that in terms of the upper limit of what the test can actually return as a result. But I've heard narcissists say they have an IQ of 200, 250, 800, and even 15,000. That's a lot of IQ points. That's enough to supply like a whole group of people, right? 15,000. There's no IQ test that has that type of result possible. And of course, really none that even go up to 200, right? 200 is out of the capability of the test. What's more, even conceptually, somebody can't really have an IQ higher than 200, right? We don't know what the highest IQ in the world would be, but one theory is that it really can't be much higher than 200. So even if a test was capable of returning a result higher than that, it wouldn't really matter. Nobody's going to score higher than that level. The last part of this item nine with the lying about intelligence part is the narcissist doesn't remember who administered the test either, which again, seems a little bit unusual when you put that together with all the other memory failings that I've talked about. I've heard narcissists say, well, it was some person, right? Like that really narrows it down as if I suspected it was not a human being that actually gave them the test. Although somebody's IQ is 15,000, who knows? Maybe an alien life form came from another planet and gave them some special IQ test that we don't have available here. This takes me to item number 10, the last item here. This is pretending to understand material 
they clearly don't understand and would have no reason to understand. So the narcissist really pretends to know everything. There's no subject they haven't studied. They will not be outdone. You rarely hear something like, I don't know the answer to that. I'll have to go and look into it. Rather, they immediately provide you with an incorrect answer, right? So the phrase that comes to mind here is with a narcissist, you rarely have to wait for an answer, but it's always the wrong answer, right? So if you're going to get the wrong answer, you might as well get it quickly. And that's something the narcissist does well. If they take the time to do their homework, to look into something, that's admitting they don't know everything. And that's not acceptable to the narcissist. Interestingly, this tactic can actually work in the short term, right? For the narcissist, this one can pay off. If they pretend to know everything and they're only being questioned for 10 seconds or 20 seconds, some people might believe, oh, they really do have knowledge about a broad variety of topics. It's the depth that isn't there, right? If somebody talks to them for five minutes or 10 minutes, they start to realize this person really doesn't know everything they claim to know. So those are 10 things that narcissists do to appear smart. Again, with many of these items, we can look at them and see that they're not really going to work for the narcissist. The narcissist believes in those strategies, but they might not actually pay off. They might not actually make the narcissist appear to be smarter. But either way, these are elements that we see. And as I mentioned, some of them are quite common. When encountering a narcissist and dealing with these types of situations, sometimes it's better just to disengage, right? Like in terms of arguing and talking about their IQ and all this, a lot of the times it just makes more sense to move away from the situation and kind of let them do what they're going to do. Narcissists will go to great lengths to ensure that they protect that ego. And that can be hazardous for people around them. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media, all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Learn more at ArsLonga.media. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.